0: Greetings fans of oceans, coasts, science-based facts, and fact-based reality. Welcome to Scanna. I'm Mark Lernien, author of The Killer Whale Who Changed the World. If the Lorax speaks for the trees, right now Ecojustice is speaking for the whales. Dina Title is the eco-justice lawyer fighting Kinder Morgan's proposed pipeline expansion off the coast of British Columbia on behalf of the Living Ocean Society and Raincoast Conservation Foundation. But when you break down the case, she's really representing the Orcas. Canada's National Energy Board, which pretty much never met a pipeline proposal they didn't like, admitted that the proposed expansion would have, quote, significant adverse effects on the southern resident orcas, the most iconic species in the Salish Sea. These significant adverse effects are based on everything going perfectly. No spill, no drips, just the massive increase in tanker traffic. I asked scientist after scientist how does a population of 79 orcas survive significant adverse effects? The answer? They don't. So how does this pass the sniff test with Canada's Species at Risk Act? That's part of what title is going to court to find out. When I was researching my book, The Killer Who Changed the World, I became obsessed with the idea of cetacean rights. Not just their rights to live outside of tanks, but their rights to live in the wild. Sometimes whales need warriors like Paul Watson and his Sea Shepherd Society. Sometimes they need throngs of protesters. And sometimes the whales need a lawyer. Tidal is based in that hotbed of whale huggers, Calgary, but I met her when she was visiting her family in Vancouver episode is sponsored by the National Observer. One of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast was because I was depressed at the lack of environmental coverage of the major stories that are out there happening in B.C., in Washington State, in and around the Salish Sea. And one of the places you can still turn to for that coverage is the National Observer. This episode is also brought to you by our heroic patrons at patreon.com. So Thanks this week to Peter Harvey, Kate Johnson, Dave Foley, and Howie Siegel. Water is life. Water is life. Water is life. Thanks for tuning in to the Scanna Podcast. Today we're talking with Dina Title from Eco Justice about the case to protect the southern residents using the Species at Risk Act.
1: Hi, my name is Dina Title, and I'm a staff lawyer at Ecojustice.
0: So where are you from?
1: I'm originally from Vancouver and I'm now based in Calgary. Okay,
0: and being from Vancouver, do you remember the first time you saw a whale?
1: I do. When I was very little, I was a big Vancouver Aquarium enthusiast. So at about age two, I was a regular visitor to Biosa and I forget the other one's name. Um, and yeah, my, my favorite story from when I was little is that I could point out the dorsal fin on my toy whale from the Vancouver Aquarium at age two.
0: Nice.
1: But yeah. My first time seeing them in the wild was either on Pandora Island or on a ferry. I don't remember which came first, but I was convinced that there were whales off the ferry, and my mom was like, "No, no, Dina, it's just waves." And it's like, "No, I'm pretty sure those are dorsal fins," and they did turn out to be dorsal fins. So nice, yes,
0: <laughs> very cool. Do you know how old you were then?
1: Uh, maybe five.
0: Nice, pretty small. Mm-hmm. Now, is it whales that turned you on to environmental law? Is it the aquarium? Like, what made you go environmental law?
1: Yeah, so lifelong whale enthusiast, but it was a more a more general interest in the environment and environmental law. So I knew. That I wanted to do something something related to creating positive change of some kind, like very broadly speaking, whether it was the environment or human rights, and eventually gravitated towards the environment and decided that law school was the way to use my skills, which are not particularly science skills, to do something that I cared about.
2: Texas-based Kinder Morgan's proposed new pipeline would result in a seven-fold increase in oil tanker traffic from Vancouver. To find out how a Kinder Morgan oil spill would affect the Salish Sea, we dropped 5,856 yellow drift cards at 20 different locations on or near the tanker route. Each card carried the simple message, this could be oil. The Drift Cards suggest an oil spill threatens more of the coast than Kinder Morgan is telling us. Oil would likely travel much further than their models show. Over 2,200 Drift Cards have been found and reported to date. Some cards traveled over 1,000 kilometers to wash up on beaches on Haida Gwaii. The Drift Cards demonstrate the connectivity of our oceans. A Kinder Morgan oil spill would have devastating economic, social, and environmental consequences. Our whole coast is at risk. Ask Prime Minister Trudeau to reject Kinder Morgan and protect our priceless coast.
0: Can you talk about Raincoast, what the mandate is and how this all happened?
1: Sure. So uh, Raincoast is one of my two clients and their mandate is to use uh, science um, and research to advocate for conservation or to to inform at conservation and advocacy for conservation. And my other client uh, with respect to Kinder Morgan is Living Ocean Society and their mandate is to protect uh, coastal ecosystems and communities.
0: I remember when I was Looking into the Kinder Morgan hearings, I asked around. I said, "Well, who's spoken for the whales?" And somebody said, "Other than Raincoast, the whales are kind of an afterthought." So, right.
1: Yeah, we were the ones who who made most of the submissions about whales um, in front of the NEB, and who are now taking the whale issue to court. So, are
0: you basically the whales' lawyer? Like well, the way <laughs> I read the case, it was like I, people were asking me, "Who are you talking to?" They were like I'm sort of talking to the lawyer for the whales. <laughs> So are you basically J pod and K pod <laughs> and L pods whales? Like, are you? Are you sorry, are you like the Southern Residents lawyer?
1: Indirectly, so the whales themselves cannot get standing, but my clients can get public interest standing to to represent the interests of the whales and of the environment.
0: Can you talk through the case because mm-hmm. you're going to do a better job explaining it than I am? So
1: sure. So I'll start with the NEB. So it's a it's a two part challenge to the NEB report and the Governor and Council's decision to approve the Kinder Morgan project. And so we represented our clients in the NEB hearing. And then when the report came out in May of last year, uh, we took that report to court on the basis that the board didn't meet certain requirements of the Environmental Assessment Act and the Species at Risk Act. And then when the cabinet decision came out, those concerns were still outstanding. They still hadn't followed the the Environmental Assessment Act and the Species at Risk Act. So then we challenged the governor and council's decision as well. You're pulling out a hypothetical,
0: right? Well, let's say the National Energy Board says well, the yes. National the National Energy been Board finished. actually uh, has been uh, politically torqued by Mr. Harper. Uh, we have a process that was, that was uh, effective around Keystone Excel that he then went and highly politicized, and people have are no longer uh, trusting that National Energy Board to the degree that we should have trust in our National Energy Board. So that is why in my environmental announcement a few weeks ago, I talked about the need uh, to strengthen and restore public trust in our evaluation process, and that's that's something that I'm not going to prejudge, and I won't fall into hypotheticals on that.
1: But, and I can get into the specifics of that. That would be awesome because the, yeah. I and I read,
0: you know, I, I read the paperwork on it. Can you sort of talk me through mm-hmm. a little bit? Talk me through the challenges that you made and where you feel the government didn't meet the standard and where you mm-hmm. must have won because you're getting to appeal this.
1: Right. So um, the the start of the problem is that. When the NEB reviewed the project, they separated out the pipeline and the marine terminal from the ships. So they've defined the project as ending at Westridge Marine Terminal and shipping being related to the project but not part of it. And so what that approach means is that under the Environmental Assessment Act, um the environmental assessment is only of the pipeline and the marine terminal and the tankers were considered and reviewed but only under the more general provisions of the National Energy Board Act where they consider the public interest broadly speaking and sort of weigh the pros and cons
0: so the the whole review of the pipeline treats the tankers as an
1: afterthought that yeah that's more or less the case so Mm-hmm. That's so, disturbing. Yes. Yeah, so by not considering the tankers as part of the project and not subjecting them to the same environmental assessment, um, the the NEB has said that the Species at Risk Act requirements that are triggered by an environment, environmental assessment don't apply to its review of the tankers. And so there's a key provision of the Species at Risk Act that's triggered by an environmental assessment that says that when a, a project is under review, You have to ensure that there are measures to avoid or lessen the impacts on an endangered species. So by treating the ships as separate from the environmental assessment and separate from the project, they've said that this provision of the Species at Risk Act does not apply in this case.
0: Wow. So the whole process basically blows off the Species at Risk Act?
1: As far as marine mammals are concerned, or marine species at risk are concerned, yes.
0: So what happens if they apply the Species at Risk Act? Because I was thinking if they apply it, there's no way they can do this project.
1: Right. So it's a pretty high standard. If if the Species at Risk Act does apply, then they have to find measures to lessen or avoid the effects of the project on the whales. So there would have to be mitigation measures. And the NEB report doesn't include any mitigation measures specific to the killer whales. So it has one condition that's relevant to the southern residents, which is a marine mammal protection plan. But if you look at the details of that in condition number 100 and something, it really is just a requirement to report on any initiatives or activities that are going on related to the whales, but not to actually do anything. Like, there's no outcome of the Marine Mammal Protection Plan.
0: So the plan is to say, hi, to keep we tabs saw something. some whales. Awesome.
1: Mm-hmm. Because there are 79 orcas left, so keeping tabs will help a lot. Right. Yeah, so no no actual measures in the conditions.
0: Are there any other cases where the Species at Risk Act has worked to stop something mm-hmm. of this size, this magnitude?
1: Not that I know of. This provision in particular hasn't been considered by the courts in this kind of context.
0: Wow! So this really is groundbreaking.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah, it's new stuff.
0: Uh, can you talk through where do you know what part of their challenge, your challenge, was approved to allow you to to go forward?
1: So we're still. Um, we're still at the application for leave stage. So we've applied to the court for leave and, um, the attorney general and Kinder Morgan have had a chance to respond to that application for leave. And now we're still waiting for the court's decision. So what happens next? We wait and see if we get leave to appeal. Oh, okay. No decision. Mm-hmm. And the, the previous challenge to the National Energy Reward report is, um, also still ongoing. It's, uh, sort of been bogged down in motion since last summer. So that's still outstanding as well.
0: Now, can anything go forward while you're doing this? Like,
1: it, Is your case actually stalling the construction of the pipeline? The case itself doesn't stop them from going ahead. So it's up to the proponent to decide if that's something that they want to do. All these questions are still unresolved.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Because one of the things that really struck me, and I ended up writing about this, when I went to the Kinder Morgan hearings and I went to one in Victoria and I spoke there and I listened to all these people and there were all these tweets going, hey, there's nobody here who's opposed. There's nobody here who's opposed. And they were all very excited and thought this was wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I went, this is really bad. Mm-hmm. Because to my mind, this is a what? I mean, you've done the numbers better than I would, but billion dollar? Like, is it multi...
1: That's a good question. Yeah. I can actually put but, a dollar figure But it's yeah. a huge project i mean you know hundreds of
0: millions at least whether it's billions or not and they didn't send a single scientist not a single pr person i thought this is done the only reason not to Mm -hmm. show up is that this is a dog and pony show
1: you already know how important pipelines are for transporting energy and pipelines that cross Canada's provincial or international borders are regulated by us, the National Energy Board. With over 450 employees with expertise in law, environment, engineering, economics, community, and aboriginal relations, we make sure pipeline companies meet strict requirements to keep Canadians and the environment safe. Sorry. Right. Yeah. And yeah, the, so the government really just adopted the NEB's conditions in the end. It, or the adopted its recommendation, recommendations in the end. It didn't add any conditions specific to the whales. So they have relied quite heavily on the NEB report. I mean, they're allowed to consider broader things and it's a, the overall public interest decision that they make is, can uh, be informed by a number of different things, but they did rely quite heavily on the NEB report and accepted their recommendations, especially when it came to the whales.
0: Well, I mean, what was interesting to me is, I mean, I don't think the NEBs ever met a pipeline they didn't like. And yet this one, they actually acknowledged the impacts on the whales.
1: Yeah. So the report does, it quite clearly states that the project will have significant adverse effects on the whales, but they reached the conclusion that it was overall in the public interest.
0: What it felt to me like they were saying was the whales were already dying. So why not? Like that was how I read it.
1: Yeah. How I read it is, um, there's a certain amount of sort of distancing themselves from the issue entirely. So saying this isn't within our sort of day-to-day job as a regulator uh, pipelines. Um, but my response to that would be that they're the responsible authority that was assigned to assess the project. And they had to deal with everything in federal jurisdiction and they've not apply this species zero, so I have to miss this gigantic problem
0: yeah when i I end up speaking because I kept calling scientists and I'm going, "Okay, this is a population at the time when I spoke there were eighty three the next day there were eighty two right. and um the thing that really hit me was I thought this is such a small population and it that mm-hmm. they can't survive significant adverse effects, and I kept mm-hmm. phoning different experts. And asking that question, can these orcas survive significant adverse effects? And the answer across the board was no. And scientists don't like to use the mm-hmm. word extinction because apparently right. aliens could come from outer space and repopulate the whales or something like that. <laughs> it
1: could happen.
0: Yeah, anything could happen. You know, they, they want to be scientifically rigorous, but mm-hmm. yeah, when I said, can they survive significant adverse effects? Mm-hmm. The answers were universally absolutely not.
1: Right. And yeah, um, so one of the, the expert reports that Raincoast commissioned for the review. So they, they commissioned reports on things like, uh, lower Fraser River salmon, uh, a specific report about the noise impacts yeah. on the whales. And then one that was really interesting, which was a population viability analysis. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. No. It's really interesting. So they, they modeled the effects of, decreased salmon prey, they modeled the effects of noise, they modeled the effects of oil spills and potential collisions with ships individually and together, and the result of this modeling was a conclusion that with the project, they have a greater than 50% chance of being effectively extinct this century. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, pretty stark. I'd both love to see that and really don't want to see it, mm-hmm. but yeah, <laughs> I should check that out. It's tough, but interesting and important reading. Wow. Mm-hmm. So
0: do you have any sense of when you'll find out what happens next with with your challenges?
1: I don't. So these decisions are just made by one judge based on written submissions, so there's no waiting for a court date or anything, and it could be quite a quick decision, but we'll just have to, to wait and see. It could be a matter of weeks. It could be a couple of months.
0: And what sort of triumphs have you had with this so far? I mean, the fact that you're getting them to listen to you is great.
1: Right. So we know we know now that this is an issue that's on the government's radar, so... Um, before in the lead up to the decision and since we've heard statements from the Minister of Fisheries and Oceans about protecting the killer whales and um, just statements of commitment and sort of general promises to to protect the oceans and protect the whales. So we know that um, I think probably as a result of the noise that we've made about this and how persistent my clients have been that it's on their radar.
0: Okay. Can you talk through the other aspects of the case like can you explain where the other challenges mm-hmm. are with this case
1: by other challenges do you mean where, other, where are the other court
0: cases or no the other challenges the that you've that forward. you've launched mm-hmm. like because you you had so many different challenges going in there in in your brief like the different areas that you were taking on the on the report
1: okay so our, our legal grounds yes. i guess um yeah so the the main one is the how they define the project and the results of that so Uh, From our perspective, in our legal submissions, we say that the project, just by the legal definition of a project in the Environmental Assessment Act, has to include the ships. So when you look at the definition of a project, it includes things that are incidental to what is defined as the project. So we are wondering how the tankers could not be Incidental to the, the pipeline of the marine terminal, when one clearly depends on the other.
0: So it's like they're treating the tra- tank. So it's like they're treating the tankers as an externality.
1: Right. Yes. Like these tankers would not be here, but for the marine terminal, the marine terminal would not be here, but for these tankers.
0: That's quite stunning. Hmm. Okay.
1: So that's so that's an important part of it. And then we're looking at as a result of that the failure to apply that provision of the Species at Risk Act that requires measures to lessen or avoid effects. Uh, we're looking at an alternative argument that if somehow this wasn't part of the project, then it should have been considered a project in and of itself under another provision of the Environmental Assessment Act that would also trigger the Species at Risk Act requirement. We're looking at a provision of the Species at Risk Act that requires that before authorizing an approval that could result in the destruction of habitat, the decision maker, so in this case, cabinet issuing the approval has to um, ensure all feasible measures to prevent impacts on critical habitats. So there are a number of different things nested within this the broader legal argument.
0: What is the biggest victory the Species at Risk Act has seen so far?
1: That's an excellent question. Um, I guess a, a relevant one that was really important yeah. was when my colleagues went to court a few years ago, also about the Southern residents, about the lack of um, legal protections for critical habitat. So they had to Go to court to make sure that there was actually a critical habitat protection order as required by the law, um, and that it included not just the area, the geographical area of critical habitat, but also the attributes of critical habitat. Because critical habitat isn't just a space; it's also just an environment that's suitable for the whale. So, is there salmon? Can they hear? Is it clean enough? So, the court has recognized that there need to be these mandatory orders protecting habitat, and that critical habitat includes all of these things.
0: Now, I know this isn't really your thing, but in, is there a way to give orcas standing? Mm-hmm. Like, is there, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I I sort of broached the topic of personhood with you before. Like, mm-hmm. it, is that what's required for the orcas to have a standing beyond just collateral damage in something like this?
1: Yeah. So, like I said, under our current law, like a, an environmental group can get public interest standing to make arguments, for example, on behalf of an endangered species, um, I don't know what it would take to for the whales themselves to have standing. There's an interesting-sounding book that I have yet to read called Do Trees Have Standing, which is kind of a funny pun, I think, as well as an interesting legal question. But it's something that I'm interested in but haven't really explored what it would take for us to be able to represent a species on its own behalf.
0: Now, what is it like fighting for the orca? Like, Do you feel like you're fighting mm-hmm. for Raincoast or or the Oceans group, or do you mm-hmm. feel like you're the orca's lawyer.
1: I feel like I'm, I'm fighting on my client's behalf, but then we're all fighting on the orca's behalf. Like, everyone is so committed to protecting this, this amazing species. So, yeah, we're, um, yeah, I would describe us as a team that is working for the orcas.
2: There is no doubt that the city of Vancouver, the city of Burnaby... They stop it? They are in court, and so are the Tsleil-Waututh, the Musqueam, the Squamish First Nation. We are not giving up. This is a terrible blow and a betrayal. But we do not give up, and Kinder Morgan will not be built As long as there's breath in my body, I'll fight this damn thing.
0: And you will go to jail? Of
2: course I'll go to jail. I'll block pipelines. I'll stand shoulder to shoulder with First Nations. This is not an issue you compromise on.
0: Now, if this doesn't work, is there a follow-up? Like what's the is there like another Mm -hmm. plan, or are you even allowed
1: to say that at this stage? Right. Yeah, we just we'll have to wait and see what the court does about it. And then there's always um, the possibility of an appeal if things don't go our way, or it's possible that if we're successful our success might be appealed. So to be continued.
0: (laughs) What do you want people to know? Like when you're getting the word out about this, what are you trying to Mm -hmm. let the public no one understand
1: i think two things one is just what to me is a really common sense argument that like of course the tankers should have been considered and the, of course the species at risk act should have been applied because there's no practical way that the shipping isn't part of the project and the other is just like how incredible this species is and how important it is that we protect them i think People will flock to the side of a ferry to see the whales and like get so excited and go on whale watching tours and like clearly love this species, but maybe don't know how few of them there are or how much they depend on the specific area that they live in or just how unique they are. The fact that they have their own like language and culture and don't like interbreed with the other killer whales and that there are different types of killer whales. So, and I think that that information really galvanizes people to, to care about the whales and to take action.
0: Well, I mean, I just saw that uh, coming over to see mm-hmm. you, where I was on the ferry, the captain comes on and said, just want to let you know there are killer whales on the right side of the boat, yep. and <laughs> the like, moments later, I'm surprised the boat didn't tip, exactly. right? Like, people Every were, time. like, leaving their meals. I almost left my computer to race and go <laughs> see the... I was prepping the interview, and I'm like, do I leave the computer? No, grab the computer. <laughs> but, um, yeah, everybody raced over mm-hmm. to see these orcas, mm-hmm. Right. So that interest is definitely there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Have projects previously done, tried to do an end run around the Species at Risk Act like this? Like, is this a common tactic of, of like parceling off the project?
1: As far as I know, this is new and it may be a result of the 2012 um, changes to environmental assessments. So previously with something like the Northern Gateway project, it was assessed jointly by the National Energy Board and the Canadian Environmental Assessment Agency, whereas now these reviews are um, simply in the hands of the National Energy Board, and they're just perhaps less comfortable stepping outside of their normal areas of activity. I'm not sure.
0: Well, that was what I was thinking. Mm-hmm. Is just the fact that the National Energy Board acknowledged this, I thought was huge because I thought th- it was clearly out of their comfort zone. You know, even even the way they wrote it up was like, we don't really like to talk about whales, but uh, yeah, we've looked into it, and this is the scoop with whales.
1: Mm-hmm. So right, yeah. So a, a common theme throughout the report was like shipping is outside our jurisdiction. Shipping is a matter for Transport Canada. The whales are a matter for someone else. So that's this common theme of like
0: not our not our area. So the way it was hived off, it was not our area, but nobody was put forward to deal with that area. To whom do these companies owe? Um Loyalty, what does loyalty mean? Well, it it turns out that that was a rather naive concept anyway, as corporations are always owed obligation to themselves to get large and to get profitable. In doing this, it tends to be more profitable to the extent it can make other people pay the bills for its impact on society. There's a terrible word that economists use for
2: this called externalities. An externality is it is the effect of a transaction between two individuals on a third party who has not consented to or played any role in the carrying out of that transaction.
1: Well this is this is the problem. This is the only approval point for this project. So there's no separate authorization for shipping like there's no separate environmental assessment going on for shipping. Like this is the only game in town. So if it's going to be dealt with, this is the time to deal with it.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. Is that changing? Is that something people are lobbying that Raincoast or you as their lawyer or whatever is like Mm -hmm. lobbying to have that change and just start having these Mm -hmm. types of of things reviewed properly?
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because our position is that it should have been in this was a, a mistake and um, in the ongoing reviews of all the environmental assessment legislation, so the government is looking at revisiting the Environmental Assessment Act. They're looking at revisiting the National Energy Board Act, and they're doing a lot of consultation about these things. So, in that process, people are making submissions that, like, you have to look at all of these impacts.
0: That's what I was wondering: is who's mm-hmm. making those submissions, and what are people arguing right. for?
1: Yeah, so Ecojustice, um, in its own on its own behalf and its own name, participates in these processes. So that's a, an argument that we. Are making in these hearings or not hearings but these um reviews of environmental assessment laws
0: cool and can you tell me more about eco justice at eco justice we believe that everything starts with the law that it is the bedrock of our society our laws reflect our values and ideas about justice They protect the things we care about, the air we breathe, the water we drink, and the communities where we live. Most importantly, our laws should treat us all as equals,
2: no matter who we are or where we live.
1: Sure. Ecojustice is a national environmental organization, so we have offices in uh, Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, and Ottawa, and our mandate is to use the law to protect and restore the environment, mostly through litigation, and we try to prioritize cases where we can set a precedent so like one case can have a, a broader impact beyond the specific facts of that case
0: what 's it like being an eco justice lawyer in calgary
1: <laughs> it 's very interesting i don 't have like quite the same street cred that I had in Vancouver as an eco justice <laughs> lawyer i 'm a little bit less popular and it takes a little bit less or more explaining people aren 't tend not to be as familiar with it um, outside of Vancouver in particular. It started in Vancouver and is probably best known in vancouver um, yeah it 's interesting i 've been on some very interesting panels debating the oil sands where I've said things like keep it in the ground to the displeasure of everyone around me. (laughs) Yeah. I'm
0: guessing not the best place to wear like the stop Kinder Morgan t-shirts. Yes,
1: A friend gave me a a bitumen, don't kill my vibe t-shirt with a humpback whale on it, which I have not yet dared to wear on the street. We'll see how that goes.
0: Nice. (laughs) Are there any other major cases that eco justice is fighting that either you're working on or that your colleagues are working on that we should mention?
1: Mm -hmm. So um some that are a bit similar to this and that they're about pipeline reviews are Northern Gateway so we um we are appealing a specific part of the decision that would make it very hard to challenge national energy board reports so overall uh, the national or the the Northern Gateway litigation was a victory because First Nations won on the duty to consult which was fantastic and a really important decision but from an environmental perspective, the, the decision was troubling. So we were, we we're seeking leave to appeal from the Supreme Court on that. And um, meanwhile, a colleague and I are also getting ready to work on the Energy East hearings once they, they restart with their new panel in the near future. And um, at any given time, we usually have cases going on about species at risk. Um, we're working on salmon aquaculture cases in Vancouver. Um, A colleague was in court this week intervening in the Prosperity Mine case about Fish Lake.
2: I'm Alexandra Morton. I'm an independent biologist on the coast of British Columbia. This case is about not allowing salmon farming industry to put diseased salmon into the migration routes of our wild salmon. These are epic times. The generations that are alive today are going to decide whether as a species we survive or not. And so to have a, a, a group like Eco Justice who will go to court and win on these very essential cases, uh, it means they're, they're essential.
0: I really want to kind of look at the oceans as well and, the sa-
1: mm-hmm. and
0: without the salmon, we don't know the whales either.
1: Yes, very important. So
0: what, mm-hmm. in terms of the aquaculture case, what, can you, what are you allowed to say? Or,
1: Yeah, we, we're representing Alexander Morton in litigation that started back when I was a student in 2013, and it's about uh, transfers of salmon smolts to, to the, the net pens in the ocean. Yeah. And um specifically around uh testing testing the salmon for disease and the possible spread of disease into the ocean at the farms.
0: Okay. And the farms are fighting you on this or the government's fighting you on this?
1: Mm. Uh both. Or both? Yeah, so when we bring cases that challenge government decisions, we're we're challenging the government and their their decisions, so they're the ones to defend the decision, but we also According to the the rules of the court, also have to name a directly affected party. So if it's to do with a specific project or proposal, then we have to name the proponent of that project. So how do you do that? Oh, I see. So you're, you're talking they have about an the fish farms to make submissions as well. Right. Mm-hmm. I just wondered
0: because when you're fighting against the fish farms, or when or when you're fighting against the, mm-hmm. you know, the salmon not being checked, you're sort of again fighting for the ocean and the whales. And right. Yes. <laughs> okay now here's a question yeah. I've been wondering. Are you surprised at the pace of change in the mm-hmm. transfer from of governments? like I know everybody was expecting mm-hmm. some pretty quick changes around these environmental reviews and did were you expecting mm-hmm. more at eco justice or is this governments or governments?
1: I think we were perhaps anticipating that the laws would be reformed sooner. Um, it is a, a big task, of course, and they have a lot on their plate. Yeah, I think changes to like anything like the, the Fisheries Act, the Environmental Assessment Act, the National Energy Board Act, I think that sort of the, the baseline of what we would would hope to see is a return to the, the pre-2012 laws. But we would also, like for example, in the case of environmental assessment, like to see bigger picture changes to the act that make it um, just a better tool for sustainability. And perhaps, uh, like, just more demanding in terms of, um, like, mandatory requirements and, cause the problem with the Environmental Assessment Act is that, um, the authority, uh, reviewing a project is required to consider a number of things. But in some cases, the courts are very lenient in how they interpret considering something. So, like, turning your mind to a, a general subject might suffice in the court's mind. So we'd, we'd like to see just improvements over over the pre 2012 laws, beyond taking them back to to before those changes.
0: When you're talking to friends, strangers, whoever, especially in Calgary where you're going, where you're trying to explain why you're doing what you're doing, how do you convince people that these orcas matter?
1: It is a, a tougher sell with people who aren't as familiar with them, I guess. Um, but sort of there's something in the Species at Risk Act that I think is just a, a really important idea or principle, which is that species just matter in and of themselves. Like biodiversity is important. Like a, an endangered moss might not be very exciting, but it's a part of an ecosystem and it's a part of our natural heritage. And that as well as the the specifics of the orcas, like the Southern residents are amazing. They're, they're so endangered and they're so yeah, they're so intelligent. They're so charismatic. They're so fascinating. Like, the more we learn about their family structures, like, the more compelling they are. Like, I've just been reading articles recently about, like, why females live into post-reproductive um, years, like, this is such a unique thing that only a couple of species of whales and humans do. Like why do killer whales do this? And there's just there's so much to learn about them and learn from them. And there's magical. There's nothing that beats a breaching killer whale. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Fantastic.
2: I think when we start talking about safety um, on land, then we need to look at the um, what's happened even just in the last two years. We've seen three uh, devastating uh, oil spills uh, in Alberta that are still, we're still trying to figure out how to clean up. Two years after the Kalamazoo spill um, in Michigan, uh, that community is still trying to clean that up. And I think the fact is that we need to remember that bitumen is an incredibly corrosive substance. It's not a matter of when um, leaks and spills were, if leaks and spills will happen. It's a matter of when. And
1: I think we can see that from what's happening throughout uh, Alberta in those pipelines, um, and also in the United States. One thing I perhaps should have mentioned about uh, so what I think it's important for people to know about the project and how it affects the southern residents is that there's been a lot of focus on the noise issue, which ignores the other like, areas uh, where they're threatened, like salmon availability and contamination and the risk of oil spills. I think like somehow the, the risk of oil spills has really been downplayed throughout the review process and since. And just the fact that even in the official DFO recovery strategy, it says clearly that an oil spill would be potentially catastrophic for this population is something that doesn't get talked about very much. And I think There's also a tendency to downplay sort of the additive effect of this project, sort of saying like, oh, it'll only be such and such percentage of shipping traffic in the area or something. Whereas it's really important to keep in mind that the threats facing them, like everything is already too bad. We don't like we need to stop adding new threats and we also need to mitigate existing threats. So there's no room for to just keep piling things onto these vulnerable whales.
0: Cool. Thank you. Thanks for checking out our second episode of Scanna. Please rate us on iTunes, subscribe, spread the word. Check out our news and show notes at Scanna.org. And check us out on the National Observer. And if you're game to be a hero and kicking a buck or more on Patreon so you can join our team and help spread the word about oceans and orcas, that would kind of rock. Also, if you want to find out how the world fell in love with whales, check out my book, The Killer Whale Who Changed the World, available in hardcover, ebook, and a new audio edition at audible.com. Your first month of membership is free, so if you're not a subscriber, you can test drive my book as your freebie. And now, here's how Dina Title thinks she should make waves.
1: Hi, my name is Dina Title, and I'm a staff lawyer at Ecojustice. And some things that you can do to help the southern residents are to donate to conservation organizations that are working to protect them. Um, for example, you could donate to Ecojustice or to our clients, Raincoast Conservation Foundation or Living Ocean Society or a number of other conservation groups that are working to protect them. You can also write to your political representatives. You can talk to them about the importance of meaningful protection for endangered species, including the southern resident killer whales.
0: is produced by Rain Banu, associate producer Riley Vloswick, and audio engineer for intros and extras, Alexander Brennan Ferguson. Let's end off with a sketch from Local Anxiety's TV special Green Pieces featuring the late, great CBC host, Jurgen Goth.
2: Hi, I'm Jurgen Goth, charming radio host and food and wine writer, and I'm here at the Shark Club
0: Barn Grill in downtown Vancouver. And of course, they are thinking of renaming the place now that whaling has returned to the west coast. And it all presents a bit of a dilemma for us food experts. How do we
1: cook it? Historically, whale tends to be barbecued whole. It's also marvelous with a marsala sauce, and a side of couscous, and let's
0: not forget pesto whale tortellini, which goes great with orca orzo and a spotted owl souffle. These are all low-fat recipes, and you can get them and many more in my new book, The Whale Watcher's Diet. If you order today, you'll also receive my secret recipe for braised
1: baby beluga. Since the whale isn't a fish at all, but a highly intelligent mammal, red wine or white